Well, amen. If you have a Bible, would you open to the Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 20, we are in the, the fourth and final section of the Gospel of Luke called the King of Glory. And over the next four months, we are going to spend time each Sunday walking through the most important week in the history of the world, the week of the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. And so today we are in chapter 20 of Luke. We're going to start in verse 19 and then go through verse 44. So let's open our hearts to receive the word of God today. This is the word of the Lord. It says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore. Because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any questions. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he also his son? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We are so thankful that Luke took the time to investigate these things and 
to write down this orderly account of Jesus, to record for us these final days before the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And God, as we've come to your word today, God, help us to see that these debates in the temple are not just about theology or doctrine. These debates are about our lives, our souls, our our worship and our devotion to you. And so, God, as, as we hear from your word today, God, would you show us just how wonderfully amazing Jesus is? And would you allow us, Lord, to give our souls and our lives and our all to him? And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So what is it that gets you up in the morning? What is it that gets you up out of bed in the morning? Now, you might, if you're like me, say, well, it's that alarm clock on my phone that I've hit snooze like 10 times already, and that's what gets me up in the morning. Maybe you would say it's the screaming kids who are yelling from their bedroom for help, (laughs) or that kid who decided to get in your bed in the middle of the night and thought it would be a good idea to sleep sideways with his feet in your ribs. Maybe that's what gets you up in the morning. But, But seriously, what is it that you're waking up for every day? Maybe some of us get up out of bed to go to the gym or to run early in the morning. Maybe you're excited to get out of bed so you can get that first pot of coffee brewing early in the morning. Maybe confession time for some of us. Maybe the first thing you do is reach for your phone in the morning. And maybe some of us are just in the daily grind of getting up to go to work, to go to school, to get the kids ready, to take care of the kids to go to practice, to clean the house, to make meals, to pay the bills, to hustle from one thing to the next until bedtime, and then just do it all again tomorrow, the next day. You know, it doesn't really matter what it is. We're all living for something. We're all giving our lives to something. Maybe it's providing a good life for our families. Maybe it's having a successful career or just having as much fun in life as we can have. Whatever it is, we're all pouring our souls out for something. We're all completely giving our lives to something. We're giving everything we have over to something. And so the question that God's Word is asking us today is, are we giving our souls and our lives and our everything to King Jesus? See, we've, we've come to God's Word today and we see Jesus going head-to-head with these religious leaders. They're trying to trap him in these questions that they're asking him so they can destroy him. But Jesus turns the questions on them and on us, too. You see, Jesus is asking us these most important questions today. Are we willing to give our souls and our lives and our all to him and to his kingdom? Are we willing to give up ourselves completely and wholly to God? Are we willing to put all our hope in Christ and in Christ alone? And are we willing to bow the knee as Jesus, as Lord? And so as we hear from God's word today, my goal for us is to see that following Jesus demands everything from us. But my prayer is that as we look to Jesus we would joyfully give him everything, our souls, our lives, 
our all. So let's dig into God's word. First, give your whole life to Jesus. Give your whole life to Jesus. So Christ is in the middle of the most important week of history, the week of his death, burial, and resurrection. If you remember from a few weeks ago, we saw how on Sunday of this week, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the new king on a donkey. Then on Monday, we saw last week, Jesus went into the temple and and drove out the money changers. And then on Tuesday, we see that he returned to the temple again to preach the good news of the kingdom. And as he's doing that, he is confronted by these religious leaders. They don't like Jesus, and they have long tried to get rid of him, but it's never quite seemed to work. So in our passage today, they get all of their best people, they put all of their heads together, and they're trying to go and completely destroy Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 20 that they sent spies to catch him in something he said. Maybe they could get him to speak out against Rome and the authorities would arrest him. Or maybe they could get him to speak against the Jewish people and all of the crowds would stop following him. So they pretend to be sincere and ask Jesus a question that they thought would surely ruin him. Listen again to verses 21 and 22. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and Show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. They're trying to lay it on thick there, right? And then here's the trap in verse 22. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? You see, that word tribute is a word that refers to a specific type of tax. Some of the taxes that were collected went to the local governments or to services in their community. But this specific tax went directly to Caesar in Rome, and it was a way to honor him as the Lord of all the earth, in a sense. And so they asked him, is it right for the Jews, the the chosen people of God, to pay this tribute to Caesar? Notice that Jesus' answer in verse 24, he sees their deceit, and then he says to them, show me a denarius. Uh, Denarius was a Roman coin And it was often used to pay someone for a day's work. And so someone there in the crowd pulls this coin up out of their pocket. And Jesus asks, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they say, Caesar. Here's a picture of the coin. Okay. You see, the denarius had a picture of Tiberius Caesar on it. And then written in Greek around it, it said this. Caesar Tiberius, divine son of Augustus. This was the perfect trap for Jesus. If he says, yes, pay this tribute to Caesar, then he would be compromising his Jewish identity. I mean, this coin is claiming that Caesar is a god and he is worthy of worship. But the Jews have no god but Yahweh. And if Jesus says, no, don't pay this tribute to Caesar, then he would be guilty of rebellion against Rome. And to fail to honor Caesar as Lord is worthy of death. So they think they've got him. This is the perfect trap for Jesus. 
But listen to his answer in verse 25. And then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. You see, he's saying that coin belongs to Caesar, obviously, so give it back to Caesar. But give to God the things that belong to him. They're amazed and speechless at his answer, and their trap failed. But notice what Jesus is actually saying here. This is not just about politics or being a good citizen. I mean, yes, we need to pay our taxes, and yes, we need to honor and pray for our government leaders. And yes, our faith should inform and guide our political views. But but don't miss what Jesus is really saying here. What are the things that belong to God? We are. We are what belongs to God. And we should give our lives to him. I mean, just think about that word likeness that Jesus used. It's the same word in Genesis 1.27 when the Bible says God created humans in his image, in his likeness. Jesus is saying that coin bears the image of Caesar, so give it to Caesar. But you, you bear the image of God, so you give your life to him. Give Caesar his money and give your life to God. Jesus is calling us to give our whole lives over to the Lord. Are you the kind of person that likes wiggle room? You know what wiggle room is? It's a way to always try to wiggle around the things that you say. Maybe you like wiggle room when you're talking about treats with your children. I said we might have ice cream after dinner, right? Maybe you like wiggle room talking to your wife. I said I would, I would try and clean the garage this weekend. Or maybe you like wiggle room with making plans with your friends. I said dinner sounds fun. I didn't say I would actually be there. <laughs> we can wiggle around something and we can try to do that as hard as we can. But friends, we cannot wiggle around this truth. You bear God's image. And that means your whole life belongs to him. You see, Jesus isn't just saying, so be sure to pay your taxes and then pay your tithes to God too. It's not just about money. He's saying you belong to God. Your whole life belongs to him. You know, the sad reality is that many people are happy to give God their money but not their lives. I mean, we might give God an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but just live the rest of the week for ourselves. We might say, God, I've got my spiritual life, but the rest of my life is, is mine. Friends, Jesus is calling us to a better way of living. He's calling us to, to turn away from living from ourselves and to give our whole lives up to him. And friends, the good news today is that he died for us so that we might be able to live for him. As one pastor once said, we are twice owned by Jesus. We are his because he made us in his image, but we are also his because he bought us with his own blood. And so Jesus died so that we might die to ourselves and he lives so that we might live him. 
See, life is not all about making money. It's not all about having a loving family. It's not all about getting good grades this semester. It's not all about planning for retirement or, or loving on your grandkids. Life is all about Jesus. And he's calling us to give everything to him. So maybe the simplest and the best way that we can give our whole lives to Jesus is to spend time with Jesus every single day. Are you taking time every day to be with Jesus in prayer? Are you taking time every day to be with Jesus in his word? Are you taking time to to be still and to know that he is God? Are you taking time to behold him and to enjoy him? I'm not talking about checking off boxes or doing your religious duty for the day. I'm talking about joyfully spending time with the lover of your soul. Brothers and sisters, he loves us and he wants to spend time with us. And if we love him, we will want to be with him too. There's nothing better that you can do for your spiritual life than daily spend time with Jesus. You see, your Savior is inviting you into joyful, restful fellowship. So let's be with Jesus. Don't neglect to spend time with Jesus. Abide in Christ. Spend time with him each and every day. You see, friends, Jesus wants everything from us, and he is worthy of everything. So let's give our whole lives to him. Let's give our whole lives to Jesus. Number two, put all your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Christ. So as our passage continues, another group steps up. It's like the the, the first string failed, so let's get the second string, see if they can ruin Jesus. In verse 27, Luke tells us these Sadducees come to ask Jesus a second question. These were another group of Jews They were wealthy families of priests. They were not overly religious like the Pharisees, and they were very friendly to Rome. And Luke tells us that they deny that there is a resurrection from the dead. So they come to Jesus and they ask a question about a law of Moses. If a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up an offspring from his brother. They're quoting from a law in Deuteronomy 25. It's called the kinsman redeemer. It was all about helping a family continue if the husband had died and so that families wouldn't die away. But they say to Jesus, well, what if there was seven brothers? And they end up all dying and they end up all marrying this woman with no children. And she ends up dying. And then listen to their question in verse 33. In the resurrection... Therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For the seven had her as wife. Remember, these people don't believe in a resurrection. They think that this situation proves that any idea of a resurrection is just foolish. Man can't have seven wives in heaven. It's just ridiculous. And more than that, they think Jesus is not going to be able to answer the question. They think they've asked a question that has no answer. 
They were wrong. Notice Jesus' answer about marriage in heaven. He says, The sons of this age marry and daughters are given in marriage, but there will be no marriage in heaven. And notice the reasons why in verse 36. He says, For they cannot die anymore. If we don't die, there will be no need for children. And if there's no need for children, there's no need for marriage. Second, he says, we'll be equal to angels. Listen, don't get confused here. The Bible does not say we become angels when we die. We're humans. We stay humans. We will not become angels. He says we are equal to angels. We are like them in the sense that we will not be married. And third, he says that we are all sons of God, sons of the resurrection. This is adoption language. In heaven, there will be one family with one father, and we will all be his children. You see, marriage is a good gift, but it's not an ultimate gift. It's a picture of something greater. Marriage is the picture of the love that God has for his people, the love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. And you see, on the day that we see Christ face to face, we don't need the picture anymore. We'll be standing there in the reality. So Jesus is saying, this woman won't be married to any of these men. She'll be a child of the Father. She'll be part of the bride of Christ. But notice that that's not all that Jesus says. Look at what he says about the resurrection in verse 37. He challenges their failure to believe that God can raise the dead. He reminds them of how Moses stood before the Lord in the burning bush. This is in Exodus chapter 3. Moses sees a bush that is burning but not consumed. And God speaks to him from the bush and says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And then God says this to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And listen to what Jesus says now in verse 38. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that God is the God of those who are alive, not those who are dead. And how did he get that? Well, because God tells Moses, I am, not I was. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham. You see, he is still their God even after they have died. And so he must be keeping them alive in some sense. And Jesus says, yes, they're alive in him. And these men, these men are waiting for the day when God will raise them from the dead. You see, God is the God of the living, not the dead. Doesn't death seem so final? I mean, I remember sitting, standing at the casket of one of my grandfathers who had passed away. I remember thinking, man, this is, this is just the end. This man that I love will never breathe again. We'll never get to go to Arby's and share a meal together again. Never get to watch a baseball game together again. Never get to hear him play the piano again. I mean, I'm just never going to see him again. 
I mean, doesn't death just seem like the ultimate sad ending? I mean, it doesn't matter how much we try to deny it. Everyone we love will die. Every single one of us in this room one day will die. And that would just be the most depressing and devastating truth. Unless death was not the end. Unless death did not have the final word. Unless there was something, someone who could hold the powers of death in his hands. Someone who could conquer death and bring everlasting life. Someone named Jesus. He, he told the Jews, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. He told the crowds of people, the good shepherd lays down his life and he takes it up again. He told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me and I'm going to rise again on the third day. He told his churches in the book of Revelation, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and the grave. You see, he told his friends, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, the resurrection is not just an idea to be debated. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a theological category. The resurrection is a person. And his name is Jesus. He is the God of the living. And everyone who believes in him will live forever. You see, the scribes are right in verse 39. Teacher, you have spoken well. Indeed, Jesus did answer their question well. But the question he's asking us today is, will we put all our hope in him? Will we really believe what we sang earlier, that Jesus alone is our hope in life and death? Friends, if our hope is not in a Savior who can raise us from the dead, we are fools. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're pitiful. You see, if he can't raise us from the grave, then everything that we're doing here is a complete waste of time. But if Jesus is alive, and if he can raise us from the grave one day, then he deserves our fullest and our deepest hope. If Jesus can raise us from the dead, then there's nothing else that he can't do for us. You see, the hope of the resurrection gives us hope here and now. If there's hope in the resurrection, then there is hope for your struggling marriage. If there's hope in the resurrection, then there's hope for your struggles as a parent. If there's hope in the resurrection, then there's hope for your depression or your anxiety or your loneliness or your addiction. If there's hope in the resurrection, and there is hope, then there is hope that Jesus can and will work all things for our greatest good and for his greatest glory. Brothers and sisters, let's put all our hope in Jesus, who will one day raise us up from the grave. So put your hope in Christ. Lastly, number three, call Jesus your Lord. 
So after these groups have failed to trap Jesus, he turns the table on them and he has a question for them. Look again at verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that Christ is David's son? Okay, so Jesus is talking here about a king that God promised the Jewish people. If you don't know, Christ is a title. It's not Jesus's last name. It's a title. It's, it means Messiah, which means anointed one. It refers to a promise that God made to David that one of his descendants would be anointed by God to reign over the kingdom of God. He would be a descendant, a son of David. He would bring peace and righteousness to the earth. He would destroy God's enemies and bring rescue to God's people. And so for centuries, the Jewish people waited for this coming Messiah, this Christ, this son of David. But Jesus goes on. How can he be David's son when David calls him Lord? Look, starting at verse 42. He says, For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So Jesus is quoting from Psalm 110, verse 1. You can look it up later this afternoon. And in that psalm, David is listening in on a conversation between Yahweh, the God of heaven, and this anointed king. And so the Lord in heaven is saying to this king, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But Jesus points out that David calls this king, this one who's going to come after him, he calls him Lord. If he's David's son, how is he also David's Lord? Don't think many of us fathers in here are referring to our sons as Lord. How is he David's son and Lord? The other gospels tell us the people had no answer. I got no clue, Jesus. But listen, the answer, the answer is very simple. David calls his son Lord because he is David's Lord. You see, David knew that this king who would come from his line would be no ordinary king. He would be someone worthy of bowing the knee to in worship. Someone to call Lord. Someone even to call my Lord. Look what David says in the psalm. The Lord said to my Lord. David in faith is looking forward to the promise. And by that same faith, he's willing to bow the knee in worship to a king. He's willing to call him my Lord. You know, David never saw him. David never talked with him. David never listened to him teach. David didn't even know his name was Jesus. But David knew he would be Lord. And David knew he would be his Lord. Friends, from what David saw in part from a distance, we have come to see in full, up close and personal. This anointed king, this Messiah, his name is Jesus. And he's a son of David, but he's also Lord. He was born a human, yes, but he's the fullness of God, pleased to dwell with us. He's the image of the invisible God. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the first and the last. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the son of David, and he is the son of God. He's Jesus, and he is Lord. And so the question for us today is, is he your Lord? There's no doubt that Jesus is Lord over heaven and earth. There's no doubt that Jesus rules and reigns over all things. There's no doubt that one day every knee will bow to him in worship and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. There's no doubt about that. But is he your Lord? You see, Jesus is going head to head with these religious leaders. They're waiting for the Christ to come. But they didn't want it to be Jesus. They've got no problem with the king bringing the kingdom of heaven. They just don't want it to be Jesus. They've got no problem someday bowing to a Lord. They refuse to bow to Jesus as their Lord. So what about you? Is Jesus your Lord? Maybe you're here today and you've never bowed the knee to King Jesus. I'm not asking, are you a good person? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm asking, is Jesus your Lord? There's no middle ground here. There's no wiggle room here. Jesus is either your Lord or he's not. And if you've never made him Lord of your life, why not do that today? You see, Jesus offers the free gift of salvation to anyone who would confess him as Lord. Romans 10, 9 is clear. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That verse helped me come to faith in Jesus. It helped me realize it's not about being a good person. It's not about trying to do good religious things. It's about confessing Jesus as your Lord. So would you do that today? you've never done that? Do you repent of your sins? Trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus? Confess Jesus as your Lord. If you do that today, you can be saved. You can do it right now in your seat where you are. I would love to talk with you today about confessing Jesus as the Lord. So don't walk away from Christ today. He is Lord And he's inviting us to confess him as our Lord today. For those of us who have made that good confession, then friends, let's live like it's really true. If you call Jesus my Lord, then live like it's true. When our feet hit the floor in the morning, let's remember that Jesus is our Lord. When we walk into work each day, remember Jesus is our Lord When we're walking the hill at WKU, remember, Jesus is our Lord. When we're scrolling on our phones, remember, Jesus is our Lord. When we're filled with anger or frustration, remember, Jesus is our Lord. When we're filled with envy or bitterness, remember, Jesus is our Lord. When we're filled with doubt or unbelief, remember, Jesus is our 
Lord. To confess Jesus as Lord means we must live like he is Lord. And so if Jesus really is Lord, then that demands everything from us. But why would we not want to willingly and joyfully give him everything? He gave us everything by his life and death and resurrection. So brothers and sisters, let's call Jesus our Lord. And let's live like it's really true. You know, as we close, I I called this sermon today, My Soul, My Life, My All. Maybe you read our passage and thought, what has that got to do with our passage? Well, this is a line from one of my favorite hymns, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's a song that celebrates what Jesus did by dying for us on the cross. And this is what the last verse says. It says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That verse is saying that if I had possession of absolutely everything in creation, if I had it all, Even giving that to Jesus would be too small of a gift. Why? Because of his amazing and divine love that he showed for us on the cross. There's nothing that could repay that gift of what he did for us. So what do we give the one who gave it all to us? My soul, my life, my all. Brothers and sisters, we are living for something. And I hope and I pray that we're living for Jesus. I hope and I pray that we are joyfully giving our lives to Jesus. Remember, he owns us twice. He made us and he bought us with his blood. So let's give our whole lives to Jesus. And remember, he rose from the grave so that one day he'll bring everlasting resurrection life to us. So let's put all our hope in Jesus. And remember, Jesus is Lord over all. He is our Lord. So let's bring him all the glory and honor and praise. What do we give the one who gave it all? My soul, my life, my all. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for Christ. Lord, even in these stories of these religious leaders trying to destroy him, we see such a beautiful picture of who he truly is. The one who made us and the one who bought us with his blood. The one who gave us a living hope by his resurrection from the dead. And who says to him that all who believe in him, though we die yet, we shall live. And the one who is our Lord. And what an amazing Lord he is. That he would humble himself and come to the earth. And live a perfect life in our place. That he would go to the cross for us. Because he loved us. 
and that he would rise to give us an everlasting hope. Lord, I pray for those here today who have never bowed the knee in worship to Jesus, has never confessed that he is their Lord. God, would you draw them to yourself today? Would you open their hearts and their eyes to see this amazing gift of salvation in Jesus? Would you help them to see the reality of our sin and our rebellion against you? Lord, that we would be just like these religious people trying to get rid of Jesus. Would you help us to see the reality of death and the punishment of hell that's coming for us outside of Christ? And Lord, would you help them to see the love and the grace that Jesus would love to shower on anyone who would confess him as Lord? So God, I pray that even today might be the day of salvation in many here today. And God, for those of us who have believed in Jesus, who have confessed him as Lord, let us live like he truly is our Lord. Let us give our souls to him, our lives to him, our everything to him. Because he's worthy and because of what he's done for us. Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus.